Hello, and welcome to the first inaugural episode of Collisions YYC Sustainable Matters, a show where we have real conversations with the people who are living at the intersection of sustainability and business. And I'm really excited to have on the show today, Ms. Jessica Schumlich. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So good. We were just joking before we hit record. We literally ran into each other at a networking event. We had not met before. I think it was WestJet. It was a group of uh, uh, of companies. I think. Were you part of that event? Actually, was you? you yeah, it, yeah. It was your. I was at your it was, event. It was high, high, Highwood, WestJet, and Radical. Thanks for coming and supporting us. Yes. Well, my <laughs> wife, uh, who you know, and I think that was one our one degree of separation. Uh, probably as we talk, we'll realize we know twenty of the same people. But I was weaving through the crowd, and I ran into you, and then I kind of dodged around, and then it happened again. You said, "Listen." This is twice we're talking. And here we are. So I just love, like, to me, that epitomizes Calgary and the busy. And if you put yourself out there at all, you you literally run into great people. <laughs> so thank- Yeah, I had, I had no idea what you did, but I'm <laughs> really glad that I got to talk to you and have this opportunity. So good. So you are Chief Executive Officer at Highwood Emissions Management. See, Chief Executive Officer, so you're CEO at Highwood Emissions Management. So let's, before we go any further, let's jump in the elevator. Give us the quick pitch or, or elevator speech or however you, want to, however you want to unpack it. What is Highwood Emissions Management? What are you guys all about? Yeah, so Highwood Emissions Management is a startup. We're about two and a half years old, and our mission is to collaborate, educate, and innovate our way to affordable emissions management solutions. So in essence, what that means is we work with heavy industry, mostly oil and gas, to help them both meet and make and set and track um, anything regards to greenhouse gas and climate change. So we help them set their goals, we'll help them track towards their goals, we'll help them build robust plans to meet their goals, all so that we can look at a more sustainable future for the oil and gas industry and industry in general i feel like you've ridden this elevator before <laughs> that, was, that was very that was very well as a marketer i appreciate how um the discipline and time and energy it takes to articulate what you do when it's complex and when it's broad reaching as well as you just did so thank you for that curious two and a half years later any significance on timing was the timing right did you see movement in the industry opportunity was stars aligned anything related to just the, that 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 timing specifically mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. As much as I want to say that I'm brilliant, my business partner's brilliant, and uh, we had all the right ideas, timing did play um, a role in it as well, too. So as we saw the world sort of transition in COVID to having more concerns over greenhouse gas emissions, reductions, and climate change objectives, and these sorts of things, we launched into market at the perfect time. So although it was very scary to launch, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, the timing was right. And we've done a fantastic job at sort of taking opportunity uh, from those market conditions. and, And now we are where we are uh, two years later. I really appreciate that. Two years is, is a short period of time, but a lifetime in a startup. And and and, and it's true. yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Obviously, you're based you're based here. You're in Calgary. You're you're based in West in Western Canada. Your clients yes. or your customer base are they also in Western Canada, or have you broadened out beyond kind of our our borders, our walls? However you want to. We don't. N- none of us live in a bubble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we do probably about seventy five percent of our business now in the states. Uh, still a lot in Canada as well too. And we're starting to get our first European contract as well too, which is really exciting. Uh, Climate change is a global issue. And and as we know, we've got uh, players from all sorts of different markets who are taking interest in that, and we've really been able to capitalize on it uh, because we do offer you know the right solutions, the cutting edge thought leadership, as well as now the newly launched software products. Yes, which we'll get into that. I think our timing, which was I, I maybe preordained on your side, but I think maybe coincidence on my side in terms of you guys just going through a product launch. Talk to me a little bit about seventy five percent in the U.S. and I'm asking that from the perspective of that's exciting. I'd love to hear about companies based here that are out. 
um, marketing, sharing, uh, lifting up our our skill sets in other parts of the world. But then sometimes I wonder, hmm, is it because there wasn't enough companies here willing to get on board that you went south of the border? And I've had this conversation with different startups. We're like, yeah, we would sell to people here if they would buy from us, but they wouldn't. So we had to go somewhere else. What's part of that journey is true or maybe a uh, little, little slices of, of all for you guys? <laughs> yeah, probably in all of the above. There's some great companies here operating in Canada that we've been able to do business with and it's super exciting and they're progressive and they have robust climate change goals and and that's super exciting. But the truth of the matter is the U.S. is just a bigger market. It's 10 times bigger um, from an oil and gas perspective than the Canadian market. So in order to really become uh, a force in climate change, climate change mitigation, uh, you know, carbon reduction planning, we had to look globally. We have dreams and ambitions to truly change the world uh, from an emissions management perspective. And to do that, it just meant going outside of our Canadian uh, home. Okay, which I really appreciate. Uh, if we're going to truly accomplish our mission, we need to play on a broader stage. Because, like you said, or like I joked, there's, we don't live in a in a in a, in a in a globe or a bubble. We live on a. Uh, it's we're all interconnected when it comes to climate change. If I took ten clients from Western Canada and I took 10, 10 of your ideal clients, let's talk about your ideal customer profile uh, in Western Canada. And I took those same ten in the U.S. Could be anywhere. Is the 10 in the US more, is five of them going to say, yeah, I want to do this now versus three in Canada? You keep, I'm keep pivoting back on this. I want to get a sense of where we're at on this journey and our willingness to embrace it. I know that the market is smaller, but if we leveled it out and kind of bell curved it and did all the things what we'd statistically do, a 10 against a 10, is there a higher uptake in the US than there would be here? Or is it similar? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Canadian regulatory policy from a greenhouse gas emissions and climate change policy is ahead of the United States right now. And so it's interesting because mm. although we've seen more uptake initially uh, for with some of the Canadian clients, it's actually interesting because they, they seem to be following the regulations, knowing that there's you know robust climate change objectives here in Canada. And so maybe less likely to take more of a, you know, more of a risk or a long term, you know, um, sort of view on this saying we're following regulatory policy. That's, you know, that's what we need to do. And compliance is extremely important and, you know, really proud of um, sort of some of the things that we've accomplished uh, in Canada here in terms of our emissions reduction targets. The oil and gas industry has reduced its emissions over time. New studies have been published that uh, that showcase that. Um, however, in the States, I think it's a little bit more of a cowboy situation, excuse my, my language, but there's some very progressive companies and then there's some laggards. So maybe on average they would be they would be equal, but there's a lot of companies who are really trying to be thought leadership or trying to be thought leaders in the emissions management journey. We're seeing a global uh, reaction sort of to climate change and climate change objectives. And um, I think we need to be able to both as Canadians and, and American companies uh, be able to showcase our emissions reduction performance. And that will enable us for not just our license to operate, which is compliance related, but our license to grow in the long term. We're seeing all sorts of regulatory policy as well as just public perception that's been changing in the last year to two years that are saying that if you do not have a robust emissions reduction plan, you may not 
look at a future market for your product. And so I think that's just, that's really, really important. And, and sometimes I feel like the more progressive U.S. companies are, are, are understanding that sort of perspective, um, a little bit more than maybe the average Canadian one. Okay. That said, I think the average Canadian producer is, is very well suited to show emissions reduction performance as well, too, just as a result of, um, some of the robust policy that's been in place as well as, as leadership as well from, from the more progressive companies. I appreciate it. you said a lot in there, which I which I value. I, w- what I unpack is that similar, but sometimes for different reasons. But that's okay because we're still moving in the in this in, in the right direction. <laughs> Sorry, Absolutely. that was a long. You, you had a very <laughs> technical and accurate summary. I was like, okay, how do I armchair that really quickly? But I appreciate it. we've got some regulatory here, so maybe a bit more stick. But then we've got maybe a bit of a cowboy, or we've got more of a progressive. Like, hey, let's get out ahead of this. I see this as a differentiator, a value proposition, maybe yeah. even just permission to operate. And there's mm-hmm. a regulatory side of that and they're also public and then there's also the investor side obviously mm-hmm. and the last couple of years i've heard it shifted a little bit that investor dollars aren't maybe as rigid and the big exodus away from the fossil fuel sector that happened a few years ago i was talking to um an analyst that we did a podcast a few weeks ago just on hey what's the road ahead and he's like ah yeah the there's there's been such great returns in the energy sector in the last couple of years that maybe that's People are like, oh, geez, we kind of missed out because we jumped out of that. But hey, mm-hmm. we still want you to do those things. So I just appreciate there's an ebb and flow of things are still trending and popular. And what under what what's the supporting underpin when whatever news headline cycle runs its course, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, natural gas is very important to our you know energy future and energy security, and we can produce and utilize natural gas in a sustainable way. So let's make progress towards that. That's going to be the future. And so I've heard investors certainly say things like, we need to see robust reduction strategies. We need to see commitments potentially to 30% reductions or net zero uh, commitments and, and reduction plans. And if those are in place, then we will give you the investment dollars. So let's find a way as an industry, as an oil and gas industry, which is critical to Alberta, um, to uh, to to really you know utilize that get the investment dollars here um, and yeah we'll have a sustainable future if, if if we really all put our heads together that's what I truly believe mm, I appreciate well you've built a company on it and and it's growing so I appreciate you you there, there's having a theory and then there's going all in on it when you do a startup you're all in on that theory <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is only audio for the people, but the facial expression said it all right there. Like, yes, absolutely. You nailed it. I feel it's, it. Uh, it's been an interesting, fast-paced, uh, exhausting, exciting journey. I can only, I can only imagine. Um, just to maybe swing back to investor and showing that you have this strategy, the reporting that you do, the strategies around emissions, the plans you help put in place, does that find its way directly into ESG reporting? Is that kind of the primary place where that lives in terms of the work you do? Because I'm a marketer with so many companies I find Alberta, they're great at doing the thing. They're often not that great at telling the story about the thing they did, especially yeah. in the fossil fuel sector. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was sort of the impetus of, of, our, of our software development and software launch is that companies are particularly in Alberta doing a good job at reducing their emissions. However, tracking it and and proving it in a robust manner sometimes is uh, where we fall short. And so I would say um, the 
the sort of ESG reporting is one component of it. Regulatory component also as well. Investor um, is also another component. And and then lastly, we're seeing a lot of companies actually just internally, you know, make these targets and maybe they say them publicly, but internally it's really important and it's a mechanism by they by which they judge their success. We also have to remember that when you reduce your emissions, you're actually keeping more product in the pipe as well too. So there's a value proposition to do that as well. So um, I don't think we... Maybe two or three years ago, there was more, you know, we've got to publish an ESG report and we'll like worry about the quality of our data and our numbers and our story um, later. But I think now we're moving to a, a more world where, okay, great. If you're putting something out in the public, if you're tracking towards it, it needs to be robust. It needs to be proven. And you can't just say, you know, I'm going to do a net zero by 2030 commitment. You actually have to say, I'm going to do it. And here's how, and here's my progress towards doing it. So that's sort of the impetus of, of all of it. Okay, I, I appreciate it. You said something in your when we were in the elevator together in the elevator pitch around very specifically a word that you called out, and, and even the way you enunciated it was affordability, and like which is is that a factor that's also changing in terms of companies' abilities? Like I like what you said about well, hey, we're not just reducing; we're leaving more in the pipe. We're actually mm-hmm. there is an economic number. Mm-hmm. When this was first maybe starting to be embraced, did it look more like a cost center? And are we now seeing it as more of a balanced approach that because of the technology and the things that are available? No, no, no. Like, okay, this is going to cost us money to do this. But if we're running more efficiently, i.e. whatever that equals in the, in the setting you're in, we actually can show a, a, a nominal or a dollar increase over here. Is that also a trend that's shifting as as this evolves? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of factors to that. So affordability is a, is a huge component. I come from private sector, so I understand the importance of being able to mm-hmm. show the affordability of these different solutions. We're seeing a lot of new abatement technology that's coming into the market as well, too. So abatement technology means literally technology that you apply to either reduce or eliminate your emissions. It's becoming more affordable. It's becoming more accessible, which is fantastic. Um, we're also, I think, just being able to communicate that story better. You know, you say you're a marketing um, person, which is fantastic. Part of that is just telling that story. So saying, let's look at all of the factors. Let's look at, you know, potential access to new markets, right? We, we've seen all of these, you know, large LNG products, uh, projects be uh, declined because of concerns over emissions. So access to markets are a huge component Mm -hmm. of it. Let's look at the dollar of what we keep in the pipe and let's apply that to your project costs. Additionally, we're seeing uh, carbon tax that's increasing here in Canada and we've seen a new methane fee that's attached with the new um, uh, rules that are going on in the U.S. So there's all of a sudden all of these different types of uh, pressures that are causing companies to really rethink this as not having it specifically be a cost center, but actually having it be an opportunity. The other thing which which we haven't talked about is there's a, a variety of different voluntary initiatives that are starting to come to play where you can actually potentially get a premium for your product if you show that it has a lower carbon footprint hmm. um, than that of your peers. So there's a bunch of different players, and I think it's important to understand all of it. Um, a huge component, which I also said in my elevator speeches hmm. around education, and so I, I really believe that understanding all of these different factors and understanding, um, you know, being educated from a, a producer or operator perspective on what all of these different factors are, you can turn it from a cost center into an actual value. Um, so, Are you sensing, do you get a feeling when you 
get contacted, especially at the initial stages that a lot of these companies, um, back to the education, that takes time, it takes manpower, it takes energy in what are often, especially in the last bunch of years, an under-resourced environment. We got rid of some people and now we still have all the work, but we don't have less people to do it. Education, are you finding that there, is there some deer in the headlights? Is there companies are just overwhelmed with all of the education and all the things that they quote unquote need to do, can do, or even will opt to do based on just bandwidth and cycles? Yeah, absolutely. I could tell you about 20 or 30 acronyms um, of things that are going on right now that companies are all of a sudden, uh, you know, seeing on their desk. And so how do we actually wade through all this noise, figure out what's important? I'll give you a good example. Uh, A new and important trend in industry that we're seeing is uh, emissions monitoring. Mm -hmm. So there's a variety of different emissions monitoring technologies that exist. In fact, we have a list of about 200 of them. If you were an operator, imagine, you know, all of these companies kind of knocking at your door. How do you actually go through it and say, which yeah. one applies to me? Which one's, you know, fit for my specific assets, et cetera, et cetera. So there just, there needs to be knowledge, education, and a way to sort of wade through all of the different things that are coming on operators' plates. Ugh, yeah, it sounds overwhelming in a sea of already overwhelmed. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, un- yeah, and under-resourced. But, geez, if I had more time and more money and more staff, the things I could accomplish. <laughs> so yeah. there. Isn't that always the case? Yes, yes. I feel that real. real you're living in the heart of that. Deep yeah, with the, with the startup. You're, yeah. you're in the eye of the storm. <laughs> Is there any? Do you have a perspective on? the amount of regulatory some of the the net zero goals that have come out like are are the regulatory the goals the restrictions are we are we getting ahead of ourselves or ahead of our skis i've been hearing that more lately scott in my mind are we getting ahead of our skis on the regulatory side of things for the ability of our of our industry and i say our being western western canada uh, from that perspective our ability to keep up because i certainly know lots of people work in the sector and back to the the, the 30 or 40 acronyms and the 200 solutions and all these these very lofty very big sometimes without a lot of substance goals that get thrown around in the media uh, you know where are we card horse chicken egg uh, from just then this is more of a philosophical your perspective the fact that you live in this every day yeah absolutely so the federal government federal canadian government has um announced plans for a 75 percent methane reduction target um which is large and lofty and they don't have a ton of details on it so uh, public comment period i believe just closed on it um i think it's going to be interesting to see how it's enacted in some cases yes it's absolutely achievable and in some cases no it's not and so i think we have to take a pragmatic approach to it we need to show emissions reductions it's going, I keep using this term, license to grow. We need to have the ability to have a license to grow. And, and part, in, part of that is going to be proving that we have low performance uh, oil and gas industry here in, or low emissions uh, performance yeah. oil and gas here in, in Alberta. Um, and and that's, that's critically important. Some of the semantics around how to actually do it might not even be technically or economically feasible. So we really need to make sure that they're technologically and economically feasible in order to do that but having a trend towards lower emissions proving it and then shouting it from the rooftops that we have low emissions oil and gas is critically important for the future of our industry i heard someone share the line with me that i think is common but the the last barrel to be pumped should be from canada at minimum because we have the highest standard and back to back to how we shop ethically source local why can't we look at our energy the same way when especially when Mm -hmm. there is a good story and let's be honest there's lots of 
jurisdictions around the world that don't have an ethical uh, human rights or or environmental story to tell with their energy but we seem to love to get dragged around uh through the mud in it and again i don't want to be the downtrodden albertan by by any sense but i have a lot of family in quebec and when i think about the story they know about the energy sector versus the story i know from living in it it's a very broken narrative from that perspective and i'll get off my soapbox on that one no no i mean i i agree with you um on the flip side i think we need to do a better job at telling that story and actually you know, showing and proving that we do have those uh, low emissions oil and gas products. So there's there's a two part and partial. I, I you know to be critical of of ourselves, and I'm a proud Albertan as well too. We need to tell a better story. Yes, we we need to get out there, and we no need one's going to tell it know, for us. Though, or the, or the no version they tell isn't as flattering as as the one I might tell. <laughs> Yeah, I like to call myself a, what do I call myself? I call myself a, a economic environmentalist. So <laughs> I, I do I, like I, that, I actually. <laughs> what I don't like is this either or that, oh, if you're yeah. for this, you're against that. No, oh, exactly. I think that's total bullshit, actually. <laughs> I, I exactly. actually makes me quite fired up. <laughs> I love being around the, the, the dinner table in Quebec when someone says something about Alberta and my wife, very calmly, and you know, my wife, very educated, will proceed mm-hmm. to then list off all the things they're doing at her company. And mm-hmm. usually they're just like, Oh, okay. So you mean that tagline I picked up off whatever thing I read and didn't really understand isn't maybe 100% true? And I get it. We have to tell that story and we have to educate and not everyone wants to listen to the story. Absolutely. Talk to us about, let's get back to what you guys are doing. Highway emissions, two and a half years in. And I, I'm so funny. Again, I joke, I was doing my creeping as I always do. And I was like, you guys just launched a new emission software program like four days ago. This is perfect timing. Like from a marketing perspective, this is gold. So talk to us a little <laughs> bit. What did you guys just launch? Where are you at? What, what, what problem does it solve in the world? And I'm assuming this is a big leap forward for you as an organization as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're so excited about this. So we just launched what we call the Emissions Management Toolkit. And basically what the Emissions Management Toolkit does is it helps you understand where your emissions are coming from, track performance, and develop credible plans in order to reduce your emissions. And so in essence, what we're seeing in market right now is that people are just overwhelmed by data. There's data coming from yeah. different measurement technologies, data coming from their you know automatic systems. There's data coming from here or there. There's reporting requirements. It's just it's just a giant, giant mess of confusion. Um, And with that, there's a ton of inefficiency. So, you know, I've heard anecdotally companies say, you know, I had to be up all night because I was rerunning scenarios or I I didn't understand where my data was coming from. So I'm just spending all of this time waiting through it. Um, So really, we're trying to solve that problem. And we see data sort of in, in three ways. We have data capture, data utilization, or data storage, and then data utilization. Once you actually have all of your data, what's important to do is then take it, develop insights, make decisions, and reiterate on those decisions. And so I think we're moving away from a world where it's just, oh yeah, I'm going to do this equipment upgrade because I think it's the right thing to do. And, and, and somebody knocked on my door to actually saying, I want data to prove it and tell me that this is going to be the most economically, technical, and environmentally feasible project um, that I can do. And so if I was in a you know CEO's position at an oil and gas company, I'd be asking my staff, great, you've got this capital allocation this 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 big giant budget that you've said um you know show me that those are the right things to do we know that you know lending rates and these sorts of things 
the investment um, market, they're all, um, you know, causing pressures on capital budget allocation. So let's figure out the best way to to actually allocate that capital. Um, and that's really um, the problem that the, that the emissions management toolkit strives to solve. With some of the companies you're working with and when they're looking to raise that capital and knowing that over the last few years, in some pockets, it's been challenging for some of our, especially mid to right across the board, to raise funds. Are you getting called into conversations where the data and the inf- insights that you provide are actually being used directly to assist in maybe opening up the purse strings a little bit? I'm, I'm assuming yes. <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we actually have a, a, a few investment uh, firms as our clients who help uh, us, uh, or we help them to do due diligence activities on potential investments, or even looking at um, helping their portfolio companies do net zero planning. Um, so yeah, oh, it's a really cool. exciting opportunity, and we're seeing that part of the due diligence activities, financial, you know, all of the sort of normal normal things that you would expect. But now uh, doing in greenhouse gas emissions and climate change overview risk analysis is part and parcel with that uh, with that investment. And from the perspective of building the software, knowing that you weren't a software company, you had a series of skills and expertise. Have you just now turned that into and like, is, is this, did this used to live in a world? And I'm not, I apologize. This, I'm not trying to minimize it. Did this used to live in Excel? And you said, okay, enough. We need to turn this into software. Because <laughs> oftentimes that's what happens. Like, okay, we need to stop doing this the long way and we need to unpack all of this intellectual capital we have. And the quote unquote, there's got to be an easier way, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> totally. I don't think you're minimizing Okay, good. I hope not because I, 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 I know how much work and effort goes into these types of <laughs> well, I mean, in essence, we've Highwood has spent two and a half years understanding pain points of industry, and we see a lot of this happening in spreadsheets. Absolutely, I'm going to tell a great story here because our ability, Highwood's ability to help the oil and gas company uh, companies reduce uh, their emissions, is directly related when we started to the amount of people that we can hire. Basically, what that means is we have way more business, way more companies want to come in, want help, want emissions reduction (laughs) strategies, and we weren't able to fill the demand. Like, as a startup CEO, that's the best problem to have. That's so cool. Um, (laughs) And so we said, but also still frustrating to be clear. But also, oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So that's when uh, the idea of the emissions management toolkit came up is we said we want to scale we're my business partner and I, Thomas Fox, who I'll give a shout out to, um, are very, very mission driven. We want to help the oil and gas uh, industry generally globally decarbonize. And the only way to scale that was to develop software to help enable some of those highly you know, scalable solutions. There's still going to be a huge, you know, aspect of, you know, consulting and thought leadership and, you know, strategic development that happens um, with humans still, but there's a large component that can be automated as well. How noisy or how competitive is this space becoming or is, or does the, the demand still far outpace the supply? Yeah. I mean, I often say if you have a small piece of the pie, the pie is just getting bigger yeah, nice, um, yeah. because of the demand. That said, it is becoming a more competitive space. Um, but I think it's really important that sort of software development, as well as insights, thought leadership, education, all of these components all come together. And if you want to ask us what our secret sauce is, I really believe that it, that is what it is. Education, thought leadership, and software mm-hmm. together in one in one package. Are you seeing, and I've seen this in 
other sectors, this is where the question is coming from. Uh, technology running around looking for a problem versus people that really understand the industry and have been in it and worked in it and are connected to it that are now then developing their own technology. Like there's two very different, there's the subject matter expertise and then there's software expertise. And I've seen a lot of industries where people are like, oh yeah, this company came in, but fundamentally they didn't truly understand because they didn't come from our space. They came purely yeah. from like, hey, let's go solve your problem with tech solution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my claim to fame <laughs> is I have participated and worked in every single component of the oil and gas supply chain. <laughs> Lived it, breathed it, drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right. From throwing a drill bit around in northern Alberta to working on a chemicals plant to working in our oil sands, like you name it, I've been there. Um, and so, yes, I, I, as well as as my awesome staff, truly understand the problem. So we do have to look at a transition to a software, which is, you know, a difficult transition for a, what was traditionally a consulting firm, but I believe we're agile enough. We've got the right team um, where my skill sets lack, where my business partner's skill sets lack. In terms of that SaaS, we've hired people to really support that. And I think inevitably that's going to cause us to be more successful. I don't want to, you know, belittle the other, the other, you know, the other journey, you know, where people start with the software and then look for the solutions. Um, but I think this is a really complicated space. Oil and gas is very complicated for a lot of reasons. One of which is the asp- the assets are actually very disparate. They're different. They're, you know, different types of oil and gas production all over the place. Some are close together, some are far apart. Some have electricity access, some don't. There's just, there's a lot of complicating factors. And so you really need to understand um, the space in order to truly, truly deliver the right product. Well, and having experience out in the field where you've seen that isolated compressor, or like the engine or the comp- whatever it is out in the middle of the, literally the middle of nowhere. I had my rig <laughs> sink in the muskeg once, like this. <laughs> This is the type of things I was like, what do you do with this sinking rig? I'm not really sure. But we figured it out. But yeah, there, <laughs> there, Alberta ingenuity, right? Yes, uh, touche. I think we do have a get her done here attitude that I do fully appreciate. And I appreciate mm-hmm. the balance. So from your perspective, you mentioned around your, your biggest limitation was your headcount. How has it been to recruit, hire, curious on like just building up your team and then also customer acquisition in markets where maybe you don't have boots on the ground or don't have anybody out there. So for, for the business owners listening, now they're going, okay, how have you built this? And how have you found customers in Texas or Louisiana or wherever you might might be? So maybe, yeah, a little bit of nuts and bolts just around the, the trials and tribulations of a two and a half year startup in a rapid sure. growth, high demand sector. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've accelerated. We're about uh, just short of thirty people now. Nice, so that's congrats! Really that's exciting. awesome. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I think initially in the Alberta market, um, it was difficult to to get staff, um, and I think that was you know a few reasons. Um, first of all, emissions management skill sets just are not prevalent. So that was hard. Um, as well as I think, you know, startups were also difficult pill for some people to swallow in terms of us really not having, um, you know, a, a customer basis or a balance sheet that had <laughs> anything positive on it. Right? So um, I think now recruitment is, is I won't say easier, but we've gotten better at it because we've been able to sell uh, really what our true value proposition is as Highwood. And that's an, an exciting startup with a 
mission to to change yeah. the world, and we have now two point five years of sort of you know robust business acumen behind us that's proven our business model. So it, it's getting easier, and we're getting better at it. Um, when you look at accessing other markets, that's that is really complicated. And I'm going to give the, a huge kudos to uh, my business partner Thomas Fox, who really believed in education as the foundation. And so we've established ourselves as thought leaders, not just in Canada but in the U.S. and globally as well. So we get invited to conferences. We publish free reports. Uh, that's such really a great strategy. A, yeah. It's such like, so we're not, you know, pushing market being like, buy from us, buy from us. We're saying we are the go-to emissions management firm globally, soon to be, you know, that's the vision, right? So, um that's been really helpful. And then in terms of customer acquisition, we needed to establish a presence in the U.S. So we actually just incorporated in Delaware. Uh, as which everyone it, which does. is where you do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, hired our, our, our first sort of U.S.-based staff to really help with that robust market development. So we're super excited about it. And where did it's, you pick for boots on the... Like, where's your office? Because obviously Delaware is where you incorporate because that's how yeah, that's, what, that's yeah. what everybody does. Houston. Yeah. Okay. I, that, I, if I had to guess, that would have been in my top three for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm just curious from a from the perspective of you're from Canada and not that that's how they talk in Houston. That's my lame accent. Some little slap. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, perceived as we get it. You understand. They're like I'm curious. Always the perception of okay, it's great to think we're awesome, but what do what do what does Houston think? And I know there's lots of connections between Houston and, and Alberta and Calgary specifically. But how is that perceived so far when people find out you're based here, or do they even know, or do they even care? Yeah. Um, I, I don't let them care. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even create the space. I know. I love that. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I, mean, I never let them get that sentence out. <laughs> I show up and, and, and my team shows up and, um, you know, we're speaking at these conferences and, and we are the organization that they want to hear from because we've established ourselves as, as thought leaders. Uh, when it comes to the software sales cycle, that's going to be a little bit different and software sales is, is a, is a more complex manner, but that's why we've decided yeah, you're to moving from a consulting sale to, ground, a SaaS, so. to a SaaS, a SaaS sale. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming yeah, alongside so, consulting as well. It'll be kind of a dual kind of ser- service yeah, model, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. A hybrid model, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I, I understand that. And, and we've heard anecdotally that that, that is um, a concern. And so it was important for us to to establish that that office in Houston. And, and we're super excited to see um, the results of results of that. Um, I also might just have to move to Houston for a couple of months and, you know, preferably, some, preferably uh, January, and, February, and, uh, March. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, and exactly. I, I think, you know, pe- people care when you don't give them something else more powerfully care about. And if you're using subject matter expertise and position yourself as a thought leader and you're speaking at the conference and you're getting that type of play, I very, I very quickly don't care where you're from because I care what mm-hmm. you know and what value. Can, I care what your value brings to me as my company and my organization. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't care less where you're from once I've crossed that barrier. If you don't give if me you, something else to care about, then I'll use that as an excuse, right? <laughs> if you create that value proposition, companies are going to find a way to work with you. Yeah, it, it, it becomes very... Very, very quickly irrelevant. No, I really appreciate your one, how powerful your mission was and how clearly you articulated that because you didn't memorize it because you live it. I can, you know, I can hear that coming through loud and clear. And when you look at recruiting and you look at, you know, recruiting from a brand awareness perspective, that mission and what you're doing in the world and how you're making the world better, it's so critical. So I can only imagine that storyline for a lot of people that want to stay in the sector, but are maybe, and I'm not pointing any fingers, are maybe disillusioned with the super major that they're working with, that they don't feel like they're really changing the world in the way they want. And I've had a few of those people on the show. So I'm always speaking from what, what I've heard, where, man, I can stay in the sector and 
change the world and do good and still use all this expertise that I've accumulated over the last 15 years, that to me is a really strong value proposition. Also just for us as, as Albertans, but Western Canada in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm so excited to be part of the industry. I'm so passionate about it. And I really believe that there's some fantastic work that's going on. I get to live it every single day. And to those who are disillusioned with the oil and gas industry who have great expertise, come to me. We're hiring. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Good. Uh, it. I kind of skipped past it, but I want to circle back because I don't want to not. We could easily just wrap right there. Boom, drop, mic drop. That was a great episode. But things like around net zero 2030 or 2050 goals or even carbon tax that's coming on. When you look at some of those things, do they excite you or is there a little bit of fear or trepidation around like, wow, okay, that was those are big goals and a lot of companies and a lot of people and individuals, leaders in all different realms are hanging their hats on them. The impact that that's going to have in our... Uh, is it realistic, some of these goals? And I know we're talking really broad. We're not going to pick on any in Pacific so no one can come back and say, Jessica, remember when you said, are we are we ahead of our skis with some of these broad sweeping goals compared to what you're seeing actually taking place in the real world? I mean... I think you have to just generally have a goal and something to reach to and a target to reach to um, in mm-hmm. order to actually truly enact change. So is it going to be difficult to for a company who's committed to net zero by 2050 to get there? Absolutely. Do we need to have new technology that comes online? Do we need to have you know com- technologies that are really expensive come down in price now for it to be um, uh, available? Do we need to look at what you know a potential post-combustion world looks like? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All of those things are true, but you got to shoot for the stars and, hmm. and, 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 and try. And so my concern with it would be just, you know, how do we make sure that we continue to do it economically? So we, uh, you know, truly access other markets, right? That license to grow. Um, that's going to be super critically important, but we're seeing the EU as well, you know, have these massive, you know, commitments and, and, and saying that we need to make sure that any gas that gets traded into Europe has you know these sorts of characteristics we're seeing the u.s market change as well too we're seeing just so many different signals that this is the 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 way to go and that we need to continue to be thought leaders in it um i think that for oil and gas companies now if you're looking at your net zero targets it's important to understand you know how much is that going to cost you and what's actually technologically feasible and then where does maybe carbon offsets or the other sort of things come into play Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it is possible. We just have to get creative and, and work together to solve it. And I do appreciate our best chance of success from an energy abundance perspective is to improve on what we have, not some of the like, we're just going to wipe this out and start new and we're going to have, you know, uh, renewables and a lot of things that I think all need to be part of the mix. But we've also seen some examples of the last year of some energy scarcity in parts of the world that really, you know, would have thought maybe not <laughs> from mm-hmm. where they sat in a socioeconomic perspective. And this idea energy of like, Security yeah. is, is very important. And it's easy yeah. to talk about those things when we live here and we have abundance and the light switch works every time and the gas station always has fuel. And and I take that for granted as I look around the world and go, yeah, we need to make changes where some part of there's so much of the world that doesn't have access the way we do to security. And I think it's it's looking at all the things like what you're doing to change and improve and make it better on top of the infrastructure that's already there. Because arguably that's this probably the most realistic path forward versus kind of, yeah, all these other new alternative sources. I think they are all required, but we can't just wipe one off the board and expect it to work. It just wouldn't work. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, being philosophical while also being philosophical while also making it going well. Let's be clear. I love it. I'm so pro what's happening in Western Canada and the amount of opportunities I see through talking to people like yourself, even the role that my wife plays at where she's as a Spartan Delta and the work that they do, and how much that's changed over the last three, four years, and the amount of focus is put on these types of initiatives. I'm pretty, I'm very optimistic about it, and love to have you on and talk about what you guys are doing. Congratulations on the new software launch because again, being involved in so many different companies to mark, I, I know what's involved. <laughs> to get these things done and you know i really want to give you a high, a high five on that because on top of being super busy you decided to build a software uh, platform <laughs> yeah i mean it's another just a job whoever. unto itself <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny i often say that i was the most ambitious person i met and then i met my business partner so you have two of the most ambitious people in the world so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna create the change that the oil and gas you know sector uh needs and is looking towards and, and do so in a, in a safe cost effective and and uh, efficient manner so amazing jessica so good to have you on um everyone knows a million ways to get a hold of everyone but what's your preferred do you have anything that you like to put out there for people to if they want to get in touch with you yeah, sure. Um, so we love LinkedIn followers, follow our bulletin. Uh, we publish a almost weekly bulletin with, with all of the emissions management news. So if you are feeling like this is a lot and you want to just learn and, and educate yourself, then um, follow our bulletin, uh, Highwood Emissions Management on LinkedIn, or find me um, on LinkedIn. It's Jessica Schumlich, uh, S-H-U-M-L-I-C-H, or I'm always open for emails. My email is jessica at highwoodemissions.com. Amazing. And I'm on your, la- your homepage right now at highwoodemissions.com and it's we are hiring big bold kind of boom evergreen placeholder <laughs> so that's exciting I'm assuming there's a few people that are probably pretty pumped after listening to this episode so and you, and you got a great website you got lots of good information on here great visuals which I always love I'm a sucker for good photos and you got some great photos on here so I encourage people to go check it out and do it do their if anything this podcast does is make people curious and they go down a little bit of the rabbit hole that's out there but Jessica thanks so much for coming on it was absolute pleasure so glad I we literally ran into each other <laughs> that's the Calgary that's, I think that's the Calgary story right there absolutely well Tyler thanks for the opportunity and looking forward to interact with some of the listeners amazing thank you 